Every single thing we wear, eat, and use impacts real people and shapes our world. Behind all of it, there is a story, one you might not always expect to hear. From Fair World Project, I'm Dana Geffner, and you're listening to For a Better World, where we unpack the systems, pathways, and labor conflicts that underpin everything around us. Stand in the grocery store and look at the shelves around you. On just about every package, there's some kind of a claim, often supported by some sort of official looking seal. It's good for you, or you'll feel good, or maybe both. It protects people or protects the planet, maybe all of the above. But those labels don't tell the full story. I'm your host, Dana Geffner, Executive Director of Fair World Project. And while all those labels exist on the shelf, deciphering what's actually ethical versus what's just some more good marketing is getting harder and harder. That fair trade dairy label that we talked about in the last two episodes, well, Chobani yogurt with that fair trade seal was on grocery store shelves for approximately two months before there were any final standards released by Fairtrade USA. If you wanted to know the details of what that label meant, good luck finding it. In this episode, Feral Project's campaign manager, Anna Canning, talks to Marita Canero, an organizer with Migrant Justice. They call their Milk with Dignity program a new day for human rights and dairy. And they take a totally different approach to the whole question of what's on a label. In fact, look around the grocery store and you won't find a seal with their name on it. But they are building a real movement for change that puts building people power and protecting human rights before shiny marketing. And it's making positive change for farm workers in the dairy industry. Hi, it's Anna again. I first met Migrant Justice back in 2017. I was new to Fair World Project and new to this work, but right away I was struck by the energy of their organizing. I was part of a big gathering that had come to their home state of Vermont for two reasons. We were all there together because Migrant Justice was in the middle of a campaign calling on Ben and Jerry's, yes, that famous Vermont-based ice cream maker, to adopt their plan to address the conditions that workers faced every day as they milked cows in Ben and Jerry's supply chain. And we were there for the Food Chain Workers Alliance annual meeting. They're a national organization whose membership, as the name implies, works all along the food chain, from farms and fields to processing factories and warehouses to restaurants. And that gathering of people is a big part of what they do, bringing people together to support each other's organizing for justice throughout the food system. Food Chain Workers Alliance members also marched alongside Crispian in the Workers' Center of Central New York to deliver their report and demands for negotiations to Chobani at their cafe, as we talked about last episode. Like Crispian and the workers in Chobani's supply chain, Migrant Justice had been marching and calling on Ben & Jerry's for a while. But the difference was that instead of ignoring workers' demands or bringing in an outside corporate solution, Ben & Jerry's finally signed onto the demands of dairy workers for Milk with Dignity. But that's getting ahead of the story. My name is Marita Canedo. I'm originally from Bolivia and I'm part of Migrant Justice in Vermont. Excellent. And how did you personally get started working on human rights and worker rights issues? Well, I was born when uh, Bolivia was in the middle of a dictatorship. So my parents had to go through those hard times. There was uh, no food, uh, no water. Uh, long lines to get some services and some things. 
And then times improved, but the neoliberalism started and the free commerce and we had problems. Neoliberalism is a term that gets used a lot. But maybe the quickest definition is that it's the idea that market forces are the solution to all our interactions. Less government regulation, more private solutions. The government that rules the best rules the least. That's neoliberalism in a nutshell. I was there when the water war started and a lot of people were killed just fighting for natural resources. The political situation in Latin America's poorest country continues to heat up. It's being fueled by a battle over who will have control over the country's substantial natural gas resources. For years, Bolivia has seen a war between pro-U.S. and pro-corporate regimes and an opposition composed largely of indigenous communities, labor unions, and dissident political movements. At the center of these battles has been the debate over control over Bolivia's water, oil, and now natural gas. This week, massive continued of indigenous communities have escalated their campaign to call for the nationalization of the country's natural gas industry. Yesterday, tens of thousands of people blockaded roads in and out of the capital, La Paz. While Who will benefit from a country's land, the water and the air? Will it be the people or corporations? The president at the time flew away escaping uh, because the people just raised up and were asking him to, to stop selling our country. And privatizing all the companies. Marita began her struggle for justice in Bolivia, but when she and her family came to Vermont, she stayed in the fight. So I grew up in the movement and fighting for human rights. I think the parallel is that there's still people that are invisible that need to fight for their human rights. You know, we live in this capitalist world that is dominating, created a system that oppress and lives out of the work of people, exploiting them just taking people as a labor force and not humans. So I think the struggle to be recognized as, as humans and with rights, it's really important. That's why we fight. Marita continues that fight for human rights with migrant justice. We are a grassroots organization of dairy farm workers, and uh, we fight to empower and create the voice of the community. When we started, it was unfortunately after a preventable death of a dairy farm worker because um, he got strangled to death while working. And that was kind of the spark that brought up uh, that people are sustaining the dairy industry and are invisible and they need to organize instead of doing things for them, is giving them the space and tools uh, to bring up solutions uh, collectively. Being a grassroots organization means that we have a lot of conversation with our leaders our structure is completely different than other organizations. We are a horizontal organization, so there is no executive director. And the staff responds to a coordination committee, which are all farm workers, leaders that uh, define where the organization has to go. I work closely with the Milk Dignity Standards Council, with farmers under the program, and also farm workers under the program, checking that... Um, there is compliance and supporting the Milwaukee Dignity Standards Council. And also I'll coordinate the helpline, which is called Teleayuda, where we can receive phone calls from people that started with, I need a driver's license to, I'm in danger, I need somebody to pick me up. Somebody has been detained by immigration. At the same time, uh, if there are needs for referrals for the community to services or uh, other providers, such as like um, support with uh, 
domestic violence, sexual violence, um, access to food, access to healthcare. I made the connections. I am part of um, the people in the office that try to make possible that the service providers are accessible to our community as well. Last episode, Crispin talked about Fairtrade USA's Fairtrade Dairy Program and how it was rolled out over the objections of worker organizers. And the farm workers the program claims to benefit, they didn't even know what was going on. What Marita is describing is the complete opposite of that. She coordinates with workers who are milking cows every day, workers who are, as she puts it, organizers at heart. Uh, they have uh, this hunger for um, keeping the fight and the movement. These worker leaders become part of the coordinating committee, eight to 10 people who set migrant justice's priorities based on the needs they see in their own communities. Most of the migrant community that work in dairy farms are coming from South Mexico and Guatemala. And they come here because there is uh, all year round work. So it's different than crops. They don't have to follow the crops. It's not seasonal. And house is going to be provided by the farm, which then, you know, helps people not to be paying rent or trying to find a housing situation. However, when people come here being a rural state and near to the border, uh, geographical people don't know where they are. And it's very isolated because there is no a town or a store uh, or, you know, a barrio where everybody can gather together. Vermont is a very rural state, as Marita points out. And dairy farms dotting the New England countryside is definitely part of the image of the state, as she puts it. Vermont is not a big dairy state for the country, but dairy is a big industry for the state. Well, dairy is a big industry for the state. The farms are small by national standards. Mega dairies out west can milk 10,000 or more cows. By contrast, the average farm here has just a couple hundred cows. But the conditions on these farms are similar to what Crispin Hernandez describes on New York dairy farms in the first episodes of this season. 12 to 15 hour shifts, sometimes without a break. 60 to 80 hour weeks, sometimes without a day off. It's dangerous work. And it's isolating, too. These small farms average five to seven workers. The workers are far outnumbered by the cows. But the exploitative conditions don't end there. As Marita said, there are definitely advantages to farms providing housing. But there can also be disadvantages. Housing situation can be really difficult because farms can be really old, give sometimes all trailers or crowded trailers for people to live in. Um, an example is like there are trailers for four people where seven people are living. We know uh, sometimes housing is provided like on top of the uh, parlor uh, or besides the machines, the milking machines. So noise is a problem. Um, the, the fumes of manure also, it's a problem. And you know, Vermont is a very cold state. We have winter, maybe six months a year. Uh, and and there, are, there are housing situations where there is no heat system. And other like mm, basic uh, safety violations like not smoke detectors, fire extinguishers, or things like that. Crowded, unhealthy living conditions are one disadvantage. 
And living on the farm also means that people are basically stuck at work. Because while Vermont conjures up images of rolling pastured hills and the New England countryside, there's another consideration that farm worker communities are very aware of. We are really near to Canada. Some farms are right there in the border, which means immigration enforcement has jurisdiction, mostly through all the state. This closeness to the border means extra threats for the migrant communities who work on Vermont's dairy farms. While the U.S. Constitution bars law enforcement from doing random stops and searches, those basic constitutional principles don't fully apply at the border. And it's not just right at a border crossing. Border Patrol agents have the power to set up random immigration checkpoints anywhere within 100 miles of any U.S. quote, external boundary. According to the ACLU, that means that approximately two-thirds of the United States population lives within one of those zones. So uh, we know that up in the farms north, uh, people are really afraid to leave the farm. If they uh, have to walk to work, for example, they try to find hours uh, early in the morning uh, trying to avoid crossing paths with Border Patrol. Um, so they, they have jurisdiction for mostly the whole state. And, and that's a f- constant fear for people that they could be detained and deported. If you started out interviewing corporate supply chain experts in distant offices about the key issues facing people working on dairy farms, this might not be one of the solutions they came up with. But the worker leaders organizing with migrant justice know what they and their communities struggle with on a daily basis. One of their very first campaigns was for access to transportation, the basic freedom of mobility. You know, living in a rural state, uh, the problem to have access to food, going to the doctor, knowing that you have a family member maybe five miles away and you cannot, there is no way to get there, there is no public transportation. Through their organizing, Migrant Justice won the right for people to get driver's licenses in Vermont, regardless of immigration status. That victory was in 2014. And that was a really good achievement. It had changed the life of people in the state. Um, but also, uh, with that had to come something about stopping the police collaborating with immigration enforcement because what was happening is that passengers in a car um, you know will be taken into detention just by being immigrants not speaking the language or how do they look and we had to stop that because when people are driving just for a typical like traffic stop they could be put in into um, deportation procedures Racial profiling in traffic stops has steep consequences for communities of color. And when the power of ordinary policing blurs with that of the border patrol, it can mean the difference between someone getting a warning for a broken taillight and being forced to leave the country in their community. To defend their newly won freedom of movement, once again migrant justice joined forces with human rights advocates in Vermont. The result? a mandate for local law enforcement to adopt a fair and impartial policing policy. And that means that the police cannot act as immigration enforcement. They have uh, no reason to collaborate with uh, Border Patrol. And also that has been a big change for the community to feel safer driving around and really having more access to 
to any bare need that they have. Dairy farm workers had organized and won new legal protections, not just for themselves, but for people across the state of Vermont. Winning these campaigns brought people together, gave them more freedom uh, to move around, to speak up, to feel empowered. Workers organizing with migrant justice had built up their power and changed state laws. But they were still living in cramped, drafty trailers, still working long, dangerous hours with little time for rest. So we were trying to figure out a way and a model to solve this. And that's how, from all the way up in Vermont, they connected with an organization formed by farm workers in the tomato fields of Florida. The Coalition of Immokalee Workers has a long, successful track record of worker-led organizing to defend human rights. Through their fair food program, they have stamped out forced labor and improved wages and conditions for farm workers. Inspired by their model, organizers of migrant justice brought the key message back to the barns of Vermont. They went on to build a similar program based on the central tenant. Workers are the leaders of the change. They are the experts. They know what is needed. They called this worker-led program Milk with Dignity. The workers recognized that their terrible working and living conditions didn't begin on the farms where they spent their days. Instead, they saw that their conditions on Vermont farms were set far away in the corporate boardrooms of big food companies. They saw that the push for higher profits and lower prices squeezes farmers, driving down their earnings. And that that in turn puts pressure on farmers to keep workers' wages low and skip out on proper housing and safety equipment. To push back on that race to the bottom, the workers developed standards setting the bar for what a dignified workplace should look like. And those standards are just one part of the five pillars of the Milk with Dignity program. Uh, so we have, you know, the standards created by the workers, the education to all the people in the farm, the enforcement mechanism for compliance, and then we have the money. The company pays a premium to the farms directly for compliance with the code of conduct. So that money cannot be used for more cows, a new tractor. It has to be for compliance. Uh, with the code of conduct, and each farm has their own priorities that the workers are going to define. And then to be sure that these four elements are in place and that the company is taking responsibility, we have a legal agreement. So Migrant Justice signs a legal agreement with the company to be sure that they are going to be passing the premium and that they are going to be sourcing from farms that are going to sign into the program and comply with the code of conduct. And to ensure that farms getting the premium are complying with the terms of the deal, the workers set up the Milk with Dignity Standards Council. Which is a set of investigators that are bilingual, they are in place, they can go to the farms whenever it's needed, they have a 24-7 support line, they are kind of the tool for better communication and compliance with the code. At every step from standards development to enforcement, Frontline workers on the farms are in the driver's seat. And part of building that worker power is ongoing education. As soon as the farm enters the, the program, they have an education session. And so workers know that there is this support line 24-7. Uh, they meet with some of the investiga investigators of the Milwaukee Standards Council. And also the farmer 
or the managers are also in this education session. So everybody knows that there is this tool for better communication. If I'm a worker under the Milk Dignity Program and something happens, I know I can freely call the support line because I'm protected from retaliation. Uh, that's a big important part of the program. People can call, comply, make suggestions, and they cannot be uh, fired or punished for it. Back in the first episode, when I talked to Crispin about his experiences working on a dairy farm, he told the story of having been fired in retaliation for organizing with his coworkers. That would have been forbidden under the terms of the Milk with Dignity program. Instead, the program requires that employers give a cause for firing or disciplinary action. People cannot be fired for without any reason and without a process. Um, so that you know builds the trust for people. If I'm a worker under the cognitive program, I know I have access to talk to the council and the investigators, or I, if I feel confident enough to talk to my manager or my employer, I can do it, knowing that there is not going to be retaliation. In the last two episodes, we talked a lot about how farm workers in the United States have historically been written out of so many of the laws that spell out basic protections and minimum wages. Farm workers in Vermont are exempt from the state's minimum wage law, but the Milk with Dignity program requires that people working on participating farms get at least the same minimum wage as other working people. And they also tackle issues that haven't gotten enough attention. And same with housing, you know, it's something that is a crisis and nobody was taking in, into account how people were living. So while farms can receive a lot of money for conservation land or other issues, they weren't taking into account that people were living in inhumane conditions. So yeah, it was really important to have the standards created by the workers that are there every day and, and will tell us like a broken window can be really important to be fixed because then we're going to get cold and it's winter and we're not going to be able to go to work or things like that. Vermont dairy workers came together and won new laws to protect their freedom of movement throughout their rural communities. They built their vision for how to tackle their unfair working conditions and bring dignity to their workplaces. The next step was to actually enlist a brand to participate in their vision for Milk with Dignity. Since Migrant Justice started, we had Ben and Jerry's at home. They they are here in Vermont. So we always been in talks with them about how they should be responsible for the farm workers in bringing the cream to their ice cream. Initially, Ben and Jerry's resisted, but Migrant Justice persisted, calling on them to live up to their image as a responsible company. And we know you can do it. You can be the champion because you have this social mission. And you've been doing a lot for animal welfare and the environmental issues, but you're not doing anything for the human factor and the people that are milking the cows. Uh, so we had long conversations until we decided to launch a public campaign. And it was more than two years in a public campaign with actions. One, two, three, four, milk with dignity at your door. Five, six, seven, eight, two years too late. One. We have a 13 mile march. We were uh, having a street theater marches, um, actions, many, many things, letters of support. And finally, they realized, okay, we need to sit with the farm workers and talk to them. And it was a very historic moment, uh, October 3rd or 2017, 
Benetton signed the agreement. And what is really I know, empowering for our community is the first time uh, in history that a CEO signed an agreement with dairy farm workers. And also when you see the contract, you see the Ben and Jerry signature is one signature of the CEO. When you see the migrant justice side, you see all our coordination committee leaders signing. So that shows how is the collective power, collective solutions, and really uh, the workers led on this amazing progress. This agreement between a CEO and farm workers was groundbreaking. While the CEO's actions directly impact the workers producing the food that they sell, it's rare to see a signed contract that directly acknowledges that and acknowledges the responsibility for protecting human rights that comes with it. That contract is key to the Milk with Dignity program and the Fair Food program developed by tomato farm workers in Florida. Together, they describe their model as worker-driven social responsibility. That's in contrast to more conventional corporate social responsibility. In a worker-driven program like this, the worker's role is acknowledged. They are the experts. They know what is needed. It's completely different, and a company has to change their mind and switch this dynamic of power because now they are going to listen to the direct impact community that are not only their milking cows, but also analyzing the industry and bringing a solution not only for them, but for the company, for the farmers and for the workers. Since 2017, when Ben and Jerry signed on to the program, conditions have changed for farm workers. Workers earn higher wages for one thing. Those are the kind of impacts that can be added up and Milk with Dignity has complete reporting on their site detailing the impacts. The standards also include requirements for days off. So people can take time and rest. Uh, there are more families now in farms so people can take time with their kids. Without the fear of retaliation, without worrying about getting fired for organizing, workers continue to organize to improve their conditions. Workers have been organizing in farms under the program to ask for more things, maybe more wages, um, without fear of retaliation, housing improvements. Some farms have been able to bring new housing and repair the old uh, housing conditions. Um, and then a uh, very important thing, you know, sexual harassment is something that wasn't talked too much. But uh, we have cases where um, for years there were people harassing women in a farm. Under the program, finally, these women felt empowered enough to talk to the manager. That person was fired immediately for being uh, harassing women. And then the Millwood Interstandards Council follow up with him to be sure that he wasn't threatening the people uh, or in any way. So it was really powerful to see that uh, we have cases like that comparing with farms outside of the program with this, this doesn't happen. Gender-based violence is another way that the power imbalance plays out on farms all too often. A 2010 study of women working on farms in California's Central Valley found that 80% of them had experienced sexual harassment on the job. But another report shows that the worker-led fair food program, that's the model on which Milk with Dignity is based, has been incredibly successful at stamping out such harassment. With their signatures side by side with the Ben & Jerry's CEO, workers in the Milk with Dignity program have similar power to set the terms in their workplaces. Last episode, 
When I talked to Crispin Hernandez, who was organizing with farm workers in Chobani's supply chain, Fairtrade USA had put a label on their yogurt declaring it was fair before people working on farms even knew what quote unquote fair trade was. They had no idea that the unfair conditions in their workplace were being sold as fair to consumers at grocery stores. It's another reminder that those feel-good labels and claims that are thrown at you when shopping, they do not paint a full picture. Now, that's not how the Milk with Dignity program works. Yeah, I think one important thing is that we're not a label that is going to confuse consumers to say that uh, this is fair or this is certified and, and it's not true because we know that the real change takes time. So the difference is first that the workers are involved in the process of creating the standards. They know their rights, they are educated, they know how to uh, put a complaint and bring a solution. There is a space for the farm managers, owners and employers to all come together and think about different solutions for problems. The enforcement mechanism is really important because the investigators are not parachuting and just bringing a yes, no checkbox. There are like audits that are very through conversations with the workers. The support line that is 24 seven is there. I mean, every element of this program makes it possible that the things are really gonna happen and that the people understand well the process of how make these things happen. And I think that's the difference with other certification programs that just come once a year, make some questions, don't explain what they're doing, and then they put the label on the products and consumers think that they are buying things that are uh, fair when it's not true. That commitment to putting real lasting change ahead of marketing means that the Milk with Dignity program is expanding slowly. Right now, we have only Ben & Jerry's as a company that signed on into the program. We are in the middle of a public campaign asking Hannah for supermarkets to join the program and in conversations with other uh, companies because we, again, know that this is bringing real change. Stay tuned till the end of this episode because we'll have ways for you to get involved and support the farm workers making this change. And this change, it's not just about putting a label on a tub of ice cream at the grocery store and calling it a day. As our conversation continued, we came full circle back to where we'd started. There's some similarity between that struggle that Morita came from in Bolivia and what we see happening in the dairy industry. In Bolivia, she saw vital human rights like water handed over to corporations to profit from. And here too, we see corporations given power over food and the basics of our livelihoods. The common thread is this idea of free markets, the idea that businesses should set the term of what's good for people and the government should just get out of the way. But it's a completely lie because only the companies that have a lot of money and the power to expand are gonna go and extract the resources from our countries, taking away the power of the workers themselves they, they become this big corporation owning other corporations, owning other corporations that are exploiting people. That same corporate consolidation that gives corporations massive power to extract wealth overseas is transforming the landscape here in the United States as well. 
it's happening and it's happening fast and i think we need to be very careful about this because we see that in vermont um, it used to be thousands of dairy farms and now we have around 700 but the production of milk hasn't go down still the same which means uh, not only cows are more exploded and the environment is suffering a lot for these conglomerations but workers are uh, put into working more hours with less protections and and at the end of the day we are just eating some great cheese you know and having milk or yogurt thinking it's fair but at the end of the day what we're eating is just abuses and and one one company owning all this without understanding how uh, the people milking the cows are really living. I asked Marita what I ask every guest. What would it look like to have a truly fair dairy industry? I think we have to acknowledge that the price of milk is still as the 70s. And that has is part of these like conglomerations of companies. Um, so I think we need to look up to that. Farm workers are organizing. Farm workers in different states are unionizing. Farm workers are bringing milk with dignity. Uh, we have the solutions. We need more milk with dignity in more states, but we need the participation of farmers, understanding that the pressure that they put to the workers is not the solution. They have to fight these companies. We have to really understand the supply chains. And, you know, the ideal for our part is just expansion of milk with dignity because that's going to respect the workers' leadership. Either if they want to go with unions, they support each other. It's not one or the other. Um, but it's like the baseline to comply with, with basic human rights. Corporate consolidation is growing, but worker power is too. And there's a place for each of us to support it. I think uh, this pandemic year has uh, taught us and enforced the way that uh, communities together, communities, we are bigger than sometimes we think we can support each other. We need to be in solidarity with the most impacted communities in our country and in the world. And uh, let's keep in solidarity and allyship uh, with people that are really bringing the change from the bottom to top. One way you can get involved and share the spirit of solidarity is to support Migrant Justice's campaign to get Hannaford supermarkets to join the Milk with Dignity program. If you have friends or family who live in the Northeastern US, share this episode with them. And we'll have a link in the show notes with several actions that help support this national movement for dignity and economic justice in dairy supply chains. And if you're in the Northeast, on November 8th, Migrant Justice is having a big action at the Hannaford headquarters to demand Milk with Dignity. There is more on that in the show notes, too. In the past three episodes, we've heard how frontline workers have organized to challenge unjust laws, to improve their lives, homes, and livelihoods. And one of the key takeaways here is something that I think we know instinctively, but sometimes ignore when it comes to talking about certifications and supply chains. More rules alone don't translate to better conditions. 
Have you ever walked into a staff break room with post-it notes and printed notices everywhere, spelling out all the things you shouldn't do from leaving dishes unwashed to leaving the coffee pot empty, notes stuck on notes, all stuck above a pile of unwashed dishes? Sometimes that's what conversations about certification can feel like. Except they're talking about people's fundamental rights and dignity, not just an ongoing battle over dishes. Instead of just writing still more rules, the Milk with Dignity program we've been talking about this episode tackles the problems farmworkers face head on. They have strong standards crafted by the people most impacted by them. Then they take the next step to real enforcement. They equip workers with the training and education to be frontline defenders of their own rights and work with farmers to bring them into the process. And in this system, Workers are the ones to call out violations of the rules. And then those rules are the bargains signed by the workers themselves and the CEO of Ben and Jerry's. Together, they've pledged to make good working conditions a requirement for selling to Ben and Jerry's. And Ben and Jerry's, they've backed that pledge with real resources, payments to farmers to make the changes needed to support decent working conditions. Throughout the pandemic, We've seen, quote, essential workers throughout the food system forced to work in dangerous situations without sick leave or good protections. The latest impact report from Migrant Justice shows how their Milk with Dignity program passed the stress test that this year has been. Quote, workers experienced a reduced risk of infection due to improved conditions, and workers who did get sick were able to receive paid sick leave in order to recuperate and self-isolate, further reducing community spread. Not a single worker on a Milk with Dignity farm has had the experience of losing pay or being forced to work while sick. Earlier this year, we put out a report breaking down Fairtrade USA's dairy standard. That's the label that Crispian and workers in Chobani's supply chain were opposing in the first two episodes. There's a table in that report that compares Fairtrade USA's standard to the Milk with Dignity program. We'll link to that in the show notes as well. But the truth is, they're barely comparable. Milk with Dignity puts workers front and center. It's committed to seriously addressing human rights in the dairy industry. Fairtrade USA's dairy program does not. As our report concludes, quote, Corporate consolidation, trade policy, and other macro trends are squeezing farmers and workers in the dairy industry. To address the forces at work requires addressing the imbalance of power head on. If we are to envision a world where those at the top of supply chains are held accountable, we must support programs that are transformative. Instead of reinforcing existing systems of power, we should look to the leadership of those who have been protesting, leading, and advocating for their own communities for hundreds of years. Real solutions exist. Marita and Migrant Justice are proof of that. It's time we join together to support them. Our food system is built on exploitation. It's built on overworking and underpaying people, both in the U.S. and around the globe. To change that means we need to address the imbalances of power head on. Worker-led solutions like Migrant Justice's Milk with Dignity are scaled to do that. But it's clear that corporations won't just come along willingly towards these solutions. 
Before Chobani went with Fairtrade USA's weak label, they actually met with Migrant Justice. They discussed Milk with Dignity and ultimately went with an easier corporate-friendly solution. But that's not going to make the real change we need in our food system. Every time we're offered a false corporate-led solution, let's remember whose interest it serves. False solutions rebrand exploitation. Renaming the status quo is fair and ethical, but it's not. One of the threads that runs through Marita and Anna's conversation is the growing power of corporations and the ongoing push for more market solutions and less government regulations of these powerful corporations. Every day, headlines point to how these market solutions are failing in the dairy industry, from exploited workers to failing family farms to abused animals and disastrous environmental consequences. While the pictures that sell milk and dairy are pastoral and pretty, the reality is far from that. And so, over the next few episodes, we're going to look at these other elements of the dairy industry. The squeeze of corporate consolidation has hit small-scale dairy farmers hard. Next episode, we'll talk to Jim Goodman of National Family Farmers Coalition and Family Farm Defenders. He was one of those small-scale farmers who felt that squeeze on his own farm and has fought back for decades. Until then, sign up for our newsletter to stay connected for more ways to keep building towards a fair and just food system. We share actions large and small that you can take to support people on the front lines of working for a better world. And be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Your reviews help get more people listening. Fairwood Project is a nonprofit organization, and we rely on donations to keep our work going. If you liked what you heard or learned something new, consider becoming a monthly donor. You've been listening to For a Better World, a podcast by Fair World Project. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe, review, and share with your friends. Head to our website, fairworldproject.org, to sign up for our newsletter. It's the best way to stay in the loop with our work and take action to support the movements you hear about on this show. Fair World Project is a nonprofit organization, and we rely on donations to keep our work going. If you like what you heard or learned something new, consider becoming a monthly donor. Your contribution will help us continue to bring you stories from around the globe. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to stay up to date between episodes. For a Better World is made possible by our small but mighty team. Our show is edited by Stephanie DeLeon-Zeke. Katie Gardner is our producer. Anna Canning is our scriptwriter. Our storytellers are Ryan Zinn and Anna Canning. Our music was composed by Mark Robertson. And I'm your host, Executive Director of Fairworld Project, Dana Geffner. Thank you for listening.